to be with you. We're in the middle of our weeks together, the fourth Sunday. I must tell you, it's been a real joy to be with you. And uh, I have enjoyed working from uh, the New Living Translation. And uh, for years, I worked from the international version and enjoyed that. And this is a real treat because I'm getting to look at these passages from Luke from a different perspective, a different light. And it's, it's helpful and exciting to see it in that way. Before we look at our text for today, I want to do a brief follow-up. I'm going to call it a triage for some who are still bleeding after last Sunday's message on the Good Samaritan. Uh, some of you came to me during the week and said, wow, you know, you kind of left this out there with a lot of responsibility and I'm not feeling up to it. I thought about that a good deal this week. The first thing I want to do is commend you for doing the hard work of self-examination. Sometimes the Word of God is taught, we kind of take it as an academic lesson, but we don't apply it. I appreciate that you want to apply it to your lives in practical ways. Next, I want to address the question whether it is ever appropriate to step back rather than to step forward into the pain and the need of others. Now, as soon as I say that, my fear is that uh, what I'm about to say might cause you to conclude that I really didn't mean what I said last Sunday, or that Jesus really didn't mean what he said in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I assure you that's not the case. Let me assure you that that's not where I'm coming from this morning. Jesus' hard sayings are just that. They are hard. They're exacting. They are meant to prick our conscience, so I'm not going to apologize for that. But Jesus' own example and the teaching of the early church I think can be very helpful in determining who and when and how much we get involved in helping particular individuals. I'm reminded that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus speaks with a man who's come to him, asking him to, um, to tell his brother to make things right. He said, you know, my brother hasn't divided up my shares from our father's inheritance the way he should. I mean, you straighten him out. Jesus says to him, who made me the judge over those kind of matters? Not everything is a matter for us to address. On another occasion, someone came to him and Jesus said, you know, that's not, this isn't the realm in which I've been called upon and sent to speak. I'm not going to address that. Did you know that? Paul, writing to Timothy about the widow, widows of his day, said, you need to care for the widows, but, quote, only true widows and only those in real need, apparently, there are times when we need to make distinctions. To the church in Galatia, in Galatians 6, Paul wrote, help each other carry one another's burdens and remind each other to carry their own burdens. So there's some responsibilities that we understand are to be carried by the church and helping out, coming alongside others by the individual themselves. What are some of the factors that um, we should take into account when deciding who and when and how much we get involved. Well, there's the priority of spiritual over temporal. We're called upon essentially to care for the spiritual needs, not always all the temporal needs of those that we come in contact with. Secondly, there's the existence of prior commitments. How many of you get more appeals in the mail from good Christian organizations than you can possibly respond to? And so 
our commitment there is to prior commitments. If you've got a commitment, if you've got something the Lord's put on your heart and you're long-term involved, don't throw that away so you can give somebody a $5 bill to help them out for the week. Your prior commitment matters. And then, too, there's a focus on really helping the other party, not dealing with your guilt. You ever have that problem? Sometimes I find myself, Lord, should I do something about this? And it's like the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, wait a minute, are you burdened for that person, that ministry? Or are you just trying to make sure you don't feel guilty about not giving something more there? Guilt should not be the motivator. Finally, there's a, there should be a recognition of our own human limits, the awareness that we can only minister to so many in our lifetime. We need all of our brothers and sisters coming alongside. Well, I just share those with you because I think sometimes we, we get ourselves overwhelmed. I didn't want to leave you at that spot last week where you'd spend the week bleeding over the burden of whether you're really doing your job or not. By the way, there are four distinct helpers or aids in this matter. The first is the Spirit of God himself who will prompt us to know when and where and how much. I remember a professor in seminary uh, that called me into his office one day and he said, I sense that you're really burdened about some things. I said, yeah, I am. He said, well, let me share with you something I learned a long time ago. The Lord taught me. I said, what's that? He said, any man, any woman of God can carry a thousand burdens, but you only have one calling. Make sure you distinguish before you run off to save the world whether God's actually calling you to that particular thing. We can be burdened in many directions, but called in one. And two, there are the teachings and examples of Scripture. That's a second aid. The third is the wisdom that comes through experience over the years. And the fourth is the counsel of brothers and sisters in Christ. A number of you, as you shared with me this week about some of the struggles you're having about how committed you should be here and there and who you should be helping and how much, a number of you said, you know, we had a great discussion time in our small group this week. And I got some good counsel from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to encourage you to sustain in those small groups. It's a wonderful place to experience God's direction in these matters. Let me just pray for you in this area, may I? Father, we thank you that you have given us hearts of compassion for those in need. We wouldn't want it to be any other way. And now we pray that our hearts never grow cold and hard, but we pray that you will grant us wisdom to match the compassion that you've already placed within us. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, without further ado, I want to get into our text for this morning. I'll be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. This is a very familiar passage, wonderful little story about a visit that Jesus made in the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And here's what we read. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are so upset over all these details. There's really only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and I will not take it away from her. Every true child, true child of God, uh, every disciple of Jesus Christ, 
knows from Scripture and from personal experience that our fellowship with our Savior is not something that will begin only when we arrive in heaven. It takes place right here and now. All Scripture invites, even encourages us to fellowship with our Lord during our days on earth. And to encourage this practice, Jesus has sent his Spirit to live within our hearts. But because we are physical and not only spiritual, it's sometimes helpful to think of our fellowship with Jesus here on earth in physical terms. Our text for today will help us do that, I believe. It's the account of two sisters and a brother, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, who had the privilege of entertaining the incarnate Christ in their home. Not, by the way, just on this occasion, the occasion recorded here, but on numerous occasions. We know of at least three recorded in the Gospels, and that suggests that there were probably numerous other times they entertained Jesus in their home. And of course, while they entertained him, they fellowshiped with him. So when Martha learned that Jesus would be passing through their village, Bethany, which was really nothing more than a suburb of Jerusalem, while he'd be, he would be passing through their little village on his way to Jerusalem, uh, she welcomed him, the text says, she welcomed him into her home. And with that gesture, we're introduced to the first of seven considerations each one of us should keep in mind when contemplating how we should spend our time with Jesus. Growing up in a, a godly Quaker home in mid-Ohio, I learned early that Jesus was present with us wherever we went. That was good Quaker doctrine. We, we had this sense that the Spirit of God was present wherever we went. He was present within us. I learned that from my earliest years. But that didn't keep mom and dad from welcoming Jesus into our home as many days and as many ways as they could. From the, uh, the Bible stories that mom read to me and my sisters from Hurlbut's Bible stories of, uh, of, uh, stories of the Bible, uh, to the prayers that punctuated our days and accompanied our bedtime rituals, to the pictures that hung on the walls throughout our house. It's interesting, I can still see those pictures in my mind. I see one in particular as I was sitting in the bathroom on the throne. There was a, a, a picture that mom had put on the opposite wall that would remind us, uh, why worry when you can pray? There were pictures and signs all over the house, things to remind us that Jesus was welcome in our home in every moment, in every room, in every situation. During supper time, Dad would recount who he'd had an opportunity to pray with that day on the milk route or who he'd been able to share Christ with. Jesus was welcome in virtually every room and every event that took place in our home. And as a result of that, my sisters and I grew up believing that spending time with Jesus daily was the normative experience of all Christians. It wasn't until we were a little older and uh, began to visit in the homes of some of our friends from church that we realized that wasn't always the case. In many of these homes, there was little evidence that Jesus had been welcomed there. In some cases, it seemed likely that he'd never even visited there. There was nothing in the reading material or the music, nothing in their conversation other than a 10-second uh, prayer before supper to suggest that Jesus had ever been welcomed 
into their homes. Parents, uh, grandparents this morning, I know that your little ones will not always thank you for inviting Jesus to the party, especially in their teen years. But trust me, by doing so, you will be doing them a tremendous favor. You'll be modeling how easy, how right it is to take Jesus with them wherever they go. You'll be teaching them that spending time with Jesus is as easy and as natural as inviting them into their everyday experiences. A second consideration when thinking about how to spend your time with Jesus follows directly from the first, and it's this. Welcome him into your schedule. Now, it was Martha who invited Jesus into their home, but it was Mary who, who welcomed him into her schedule. Because while Martha was busying herself in the kitchen, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. I had to smile as I, I read this account again because it reminded me of a couple in our university church in Champaign-Urbana many years ago. This couple frequently invited us into their home. They were wonderful host and hostess in most regards. But once there, the wife would engage us in conversation, but the husband would disappear until he was called for supper. And then he'd appear again at the table, and after supper, he'd excuse himself and disappear once again. Apparently, he wanted us in his home, but he couldn't make time to include us in his schedule. I can't help but wonder how many folks invite Jesus into their lives, would like to have him in their pocket for a rainy day, but have no time to include him in their busy schedules. A third consideration when deciding how you'll spend time with Jesus is this. Listening. Listening. In verse 39 we read, Mary sat at his feet listening to what he taught. It's hard to imagine that anyone who had the opportunity of having a one-on-one -on -one interaction with Jesus would be foolish enough to fill their time with chatter rather than be still and listen to him. And yet it happens all the time. One notable example of this appears in the 17th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. You'll remember it as the day when Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to spend some time with him on a mountaintop, which we later came to know as the Mount of Transfiguration. And while they were there spending time with Jesus, suddenly Jesus' appearance changed so that his face shone like the sun, and Moses and Elijah appeared, and they began talking with Jesus. What an incredible opportunity to be quiet and learn some things about our Lord and Master. Instead, the text says, and this is wonderful. Here again is one of the reasons I'm enjoying uh, working now from the New Living Translation. The text says, Peter blurted out. <laughs> I like that. Peter blurted out. What did he blurt out? Lord, this is wonderful, he said. Yeah. <laughs> so be quiet, Peter. He said, I'll make three shrines here, one for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses. Won't that be wonderful? The text says, but even as he said it, a bright cloud came over them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. You know what comes next? Listen to him. <laughs> I can't help but think of the words recorded in the Psalms, Psalm 4610. 
be still, listen, and know that I am God. I wonder what Peter might have learned about his Lord if he had stopped talking and listened. The next occasion when we're spending time with Jesus, don't forget to spend some time listening. I was speaking in our chapel at Trinity some years ago as a student. been asked to speak in my senior year. I was uh, in awe of that opportunity, and I decided I had 25 minutes, and I would fill it with good stuff. And I came to the, the podium with 35 minutes for a 25-minute speech, and man, I was ripping. I was really ripping. <sighs> we got done, and I looked at my watch and thought, man, only 26 minutes. I was congratulating myself when Dr. Carl F.H. Henry, whom some of you, most of you don't know, but I knew him, he was one of my profs. He was the editor of Christianity Today at that time. And he walked up and thanked me for my careful approach to the word. And then he said, just one thing, young man. The Spirit of God speaks in silence. <laughs> what a reminder. And so he does in our lives as well. A fourth consideration to take into account when you're spending time with Jesus is this. Remove any and everything that might keep you from giving him your full attention. In verse 40, we read, Martha was worrying. And the text means, that word means dragged away. She was pulled away in her mind and her activity by other things. Verse 41, she was upset. The word means divided, pulled in many directions. It wasn't that Mary wanted to spend time with Jesus, but Martha didn't. That wasn't the problem. Both women wanted to be with Jesus. That's why Martha was so upset when Mary got to sit there at the feet of Jesus and she had to be busy in the kitchen. But Mary focused her attention on Jesus while Martha got caught up in all the details. And in our text for today, it, it doesn't use the word Martha twice, but it, it's really there in the Greek. Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. If folks ever do that to you, buddy, buddy, listen to me. What I'm going to tell you now is important. You're listening. If I can paraphrase what Jesus is saying is this. Martha, he's saying, your list of things to be done is keeping you from spending time with me. Are you a list maker? Boy, I am. I don't think I could get through a day. I don't think I could get through a part of a day without making lists. Now, sometimes my list let me down. I get wrong dates, wrong times, wrong names, but I'm still a list maker. I don't know what I would do without my list. If you are a list keeper, you'll have no problem identifying with Martha's dilemma. In the living room is Jesus. In the kitchen is a long list of things that must be tended to if they're to have lunch. Now, there is no Grubhub, and there's no instant falafel in the pantry, and there's no microwave to help her out, and no servants to do the work for, and as a result, she is worried and pulled away in many directions. And as we're about to see in verse 40, more than a little upset with her sister. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And that brings us to a fifth consideration when planning to spend time with Jesus. Don't 
use others as an excuse for not giving him your full attention. It's hard to do. You say, yeah, but yeah, it's the kids. Yeah, when they're little, they consume your day, don't they? And when they get older, teenagers, you're the taxi driver. You're just running them from one place to the next. You say, Lord, I'd like to spend some time with you, but how do you expect me to do that? Maybe it's your boss. You say, he just, he wants unreal things. He's not realistic. Maybe you've got parents or in-laws that are requiring incredible time of you. Right now, our daughter-in-law lives right down the street from us. She's caring for her parents, both of them aged, both of them quite ill and needing her attendance, one in the hospital, one at home. She's got an 18-year-old son. She just ran over to the university, uh, ISU, uh, for a few days this week trying to get him scheduled there. She comes home. She's heading up the family business. And I think to myself, how does she do it? Your friends, your social media, the church. The church keeps us, some of us, keeps us plenty busy. We've got lots on our schedules just from filling in the things we need to do at the church, don't we? And don't think you and Martha are the only ones that have this issue. I can bear witness to the fact that pastors have this issue at times in their lives. Pastors face it in many cases every day. They've got the members of the congregation. They've got needy folks in the community their own wife and children to care for. And if they do get a free hour, they feel like they need to use it to study for next Sunday's message. But in the end, blaming others won't buy you what you need and what you really want in your heart of hearts. More time alone with Jesus. A sixth consideration when planning to Spend time with Jesus is this. Keep in mind that next to your relationship with him, nothing really matters. Let me say that again. Next to your relationship with him, nothing really matters. Note what I didn't say, what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say nothing else matters. Jesus didn't say paying the bills doesn't matter. Jesus didn't say uh, getting meals around doesn't matter. Jesus didn't say paying your taxes doesn't matter. Just try it. Jesus didn't say taking time to keep yourself clean doesn't matter. It matters to the rest of us. Of course, these things matter, and a thousand more things matter. But next to your relationship with him, nothing else really matters. And so Jesus says in verse 42, there is really only one thing worth being concerned about. I want to explain it like this, if I may. Jesus isn't saying, this is the way most of us were instructed, it's the way I was taught when I was little. Jesus isn't saying, put me at the top of your list. He's saying, there's your relationship with me, and then there's everything else. He's saying, I don't want to be your top priority. I want to stand alone, exclusive. I want to be singular. I want to have no competitors, just me. 
and then your list. When Sherry and I were just starting out in pastoral ministry, um, we'd been married only a few years, and I had read some books and tried to find ways to make sure that in the midst of the busyness of pastoring, which was brand new to me, we just moved to Southern California, we're just taking up our first pastorate, and uh, we just had a new baby, a couple weeks old, when we arrived there in North Hollywood, and I thought, you know, I really want to get this right. I want to make sure that I've got time for my wife and time for my son. And one of the books I, su I read suggested that what I needed to do was write them into my schedule just like everybody else. So I did. I sat down and I dutifully wrote my wife and you know, every week on this occasion, we're going to do this and that, and I'm going to have time with my son here and there, and wrote it into the schedule. And would you believe that my wife was not flattered when she saw that? She said, what, I'm just one more entry in your busy week? Is that how you view me? She wanted to stand alone in my affections, my commitments, my schedule. Jesus says, when planning to spend time with me, remember there's me, and then there's everything else. Finally, when considering how to spend your time with Jesus, remember this. Jesus understands you like nobody else does. There's an expression, kind of a slang expression that our generation uses. Uh, it wasn't part of my years growing up. And when I first heard it, I kind of winced. But sometimes, you know, you hear things and you're not too sure. And you hear them a few times and you go, yeah, that's not bad. This is one of those things. I was listening to a young woman talking about a young man and she was saying why she was so enamored with him and why he was different and unique from all her other friends. And she said, you know, he gets me. Who is it that really gets you? Who is it that understands you at a level that goes deeper than the rest of your family and friends? Maybe it's a sibling. Sherry's got a sister just 13 months younger. When the two of them get together, it's incredible. Her, her brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, and I uh, tried to play a game of Pictionary with Sherry and her sister. I... I'm a good Quaker, so I can't even use the word swear. Did you know Quakers don't use that word? I affirm to you that on more than one occasion, they didn't draw a line. They just looked at one another and gave the response. And I said, that's not, you can't do that. Yeah, they said, but she gets me. Maybe it's a sibling in your life. Maybe it's a, a BFF who looks into your soul and sees who you really are. Maybe it's mom. Maybe it's a dad. Maybe it's an uncle. I don't know who it is. What's it like to spend time with that person? That person who really gets you? Well, to begin with, it's a little intimidating, isn't it? It's a little intimidating. But it's also very freeing. There are no need for excuses. No need for long explanations. You talk a kind of a shorthand that you've developed over the years. There's nothing you can't say. There's no emotion you can't display. There's no secret you need to be careful to hide. Jesus was that very 
special person for Mary. And he is that very special person for you. Did you know that? He gets you. He gets you at a level that nobody else does. Even Mary's sister, Martha, didn't get her. Martha came to Jesus and said, she's just sloughing off. You tell her she ought to be in the kitchen with me, helping me. But Jesus, he got Mary. He understood where Mary was coming from. And he said, I'm not going to take away from her this incredible thing that she's come to know, this thing she's discovered about the priority of her relationship with me. There's another wonderful story in John's Gospel, chapter 12, which is also about Martha and Mary. You remember that occasion? It's Martha and Mary, Lazarus, and maybe let, if I've got time, let's see, where are we time-wise? Nah, I don't have time. Uh, let me just tell you the story, okay? Probably would be quicker to read it. Jesus is at the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and while he's there, a woman, Mary, is so taken by his person and his presence, she takes from her most valuable, most precious perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet and bows before him. And I think this is the part we don't really get. She washes his feet with her hair. And while she's doing that, some of the disciples, John says Mark, but some of the other gospel writers tell us others of the disciples too got in on this discussion. And they were saying to, things, one another, to one another things like this, what a dumb thing to do. Do you realize how many poor people could be helped if she just sold that nard and gave the proceeds to the needs of our community? Do you understand? What a foolish thing to do. Here's this woman weeping at the feet of Jesus, pouring out this precious ointment. And what is she? Is she emotionally unstable? Jesus had a different response that day. Remember what it was? He said, don't bother her. Don't trouble this woman. She understands something about me and our relationship that none of the rest of you get. She knows that she is preparing me for my burial. How in the world did Mary ever come to the insight that Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem and be put to death on a cross, that this was just days before? How did she get to that place? Because she had a relationship with Jesus where he got her and she got him. They were intimate in their fellowship with one another. Jesus wants that kind of relationship with you, where he can look at you and defend you, as it were, and say, uh-uh, this person's not crazy. This person's not overboard for Jesus. I get them. I know what she's doing. And she knows who I am and what I'm about. When you've decided to spend your time with Jesus, whether you can fit him into your schedule, remember this, that Jesus gets you. He gets you like nobody else does. And time spent with him is never, never wasted. Well, there you have it. Seven considerations to keep in mind when 
you're spending time with Jesus. Seven considerations taught to us beautifully by Mary and Martha and our own Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a delight it is. We come to these services, these times on Sunday, and, and together, collectively, we remember you, we adore you, we sing about you. But, oh God, we pray that during the week, Monday through Saturday, we would likewise take time to be in your presence, to be still before you, to know you and to recognize that you are the one above all others who really gets us, who really understands us, that you are preparing for us in glory, a place of fellowship for all eternity. How good, how gracious. And may we even here and now, in this lifetime, seek out those moments that we may spend with you in beautiful fellowship, remembering who you are and that you, above all others, really do get us. Amen.